This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Equity Mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Uh, good to be in the new studio and good to have our first company leader joining us in the studio. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had... Uh, company execs join us. Very excited for this one. And it is all part of the ASX CEO Connect series that we've been doing uh, with them over the last six months or so. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the studio, Teresa Milkota. Teresa, welcome. Thank you. Pleased to be here. So firstly, just a reminder before we start, we're not experts, we're not financial professionals, we are not licensed, we're here just learning like you and nothing on this podcast should be taken as as advice. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. And a reminder, as I said, this is part of the ASX CEO Connect series uh, that brings together listed companies and investors throughout the year. And we are bringing you six interviews in 2022 to hear directly from some of these executives. And you can find more on their website. But if you you haven't come across Teresa before, she's the Chief Financial Officer at Adbri, formerly Adelaide Brighton Cement, one of Ren's favourite companies, and I'm sure we'll find <laughs> out why soon, that uh, they've been making cement and construction materials in Australia since 1882. Prior to Adbri, Teresa has been the CFO at a number of companies, including Parenti Limited, Fulton Hogan, these Tees. Tees. McMahon Holdings and Barminco. A lot of tongue twisters in there, Teresa. No, all, all great companies. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Teresa, we always like to start these interviews by having the company leader describe their company in their own words. So to kick us off today, what is Adbri? So Adbri, is a, I'll describe it as a, a bulk materials and logistics company. Uh, what do we uh, make and what do we distribute? Uh, we distribute cement, concrete, lime, aggregates and masonry products. They're our primary products. We've been around for a long, long time, 140 years uh, across a range of different, um, you know, names and brands. Uh, We work under what we describe as a house of brands. So a lot of people don't necessarily know Adbri as such. They will know brands like Coburn Cement in Western Australia, high tech across the eastern seaboard. 
We also operate uh, a large part of our business through joint venture relationships with other competitors. So we run um, a business in Queensland called Sunstate and we do that in joint venture with Borrell. Borrell's probably a name that uh, more of mm. your uh, uh, listeners might, uh, might know. And we also have uh, other joint ventures with um, our, major sh- our major shareholder. Uh, we own independent cement in Melbourne and uh, New South Wales. Uh, with our major shareholder. Mm. So uh, we, we come, you know, we, we don't mind how we operate, whether it's through joint venture uh, or uh, directly ourselves. The uh, the joint venture model for us has worked really, really well and um, it's ena- enabled us to tap regions we would not necessarily be strong in. So we have a Mawson's joint venture that uh, is re- in regional New South Wales and Victoria as well. Mm. Our footprint is right across Australia. So we have uh, operations in pretty much every state and territory of, uh, of Australia. We are the largest supplier of lime in Australia. Uh, our main customers there, and in fact, our entire customer base is uh, uh, the mining community, mainly out of WA. We're the second largest, what we call cementitious product uh, manufacturer and importer. So we supply a reasonable quantity of, um, of cementitious materials, uh, second only to Cement Australia, who are our competitor. So um, a fairly big footprint uh, across Australia. Um, we have over 200 uh, locations and we operate with about 1,500 people. Wow. wow. So fun. big business. Now you mentioned Borel there. I will get a plug in. We did speak to the CEO Zlatko. Yes. Um, so if uh, you're listening and want to check out that interview, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, very interesting. So Teresa, many of us are very familiar with cement, but not so much the industry. <laughs> so can you tell us, sort of talk us through the industry as, as an investor, how we should be thinking about it? What are some of the dynamics at play? Who are the main players in the industry? Yeah, if you can sure. just walk us through it. bit of concrete and cement 101. Um, yes, a please. lot of people think that concrete <laughs> and cement are the same thing. Um, and just to sort of clarify that cement is an input into concrete, so when you see a concrete mixer, as you all would, would have seen on the road, um, the, the products that go into making concrete include cement, aggregates, sand and water. So cement is essentially, I'll call it the egg in the cake mix, so it binds the other ingredients together. So just to clarify that go. for people to understand. So I think just in, in terms of further understanding and a bit of an education, um, cement is a high-value product. Concrete tends to be a very low-margin product, but it is the retail outlet through which we pull through the high-value products. So the high-value products are aggregates. So if you've got lots of quarries, quarries tend to be high-margin um, uh, operations. So you're using your retail outlets, which is the concrete plants, to pull through the more valuable items, which are cement and aggregates. So that's a little bit of an education yeah, um, on, on, uh, on, on the difference. When we talk about cement, it's not just Portland cement, as we would all uh, probably know. If, uh, if anyone's ever sort of gone to Bunnings, you'll see you know, big bags of you know, sort of 25 and up to 40 kilograms bags of um, cement. It's also cementitious materials that uh, we can put in to supplement traditional cement. Uh, cheaper, more environmentally friendly, they also form part of the pool of cementitious materials and they include slag and fly ash. So we're using renewable products or, or recycling products uh, to help, uh, I guess, build out the volumes that we need. Yeah, right. So who are the players? Um, so the players in our sector, in the cement space, so cement requires fairly substantial infrastructure. 
Uh, you need big silos, big terminals, portside positions, and uh, Adbri has a really good footprint in, um, in that regard. We've essentially got a portside position or a cement terminal position in every major port in Australia, uh, with the exception of Sydney, because there isn't one in Sydney. Okay. Uh, it's in Port Kembla for, for most, uh, most of the players is where they have their uh, port terminals for um, cement. Uh, the, the competitors in that space are Cement Australia, who are 50-50 uh, owned by Hanson and Holson, which are names your, um, your listeners will, will, will know better, uh, rather than Cement Australia. The other major competitor is uh, Borrell yeah. in the yeah. cement space. Yeah. That's part of our business. The other part of our business is concrete. So these are when you see the agitator trucks, the, the, the concrete trucks as mm. opposed to the cement trucks, uh, the concrete trucks out there, we're about number four in concrete and that's behind Borrell, Hanson and Wholesome. Behind us, it is a highly fragmented um, you right. know, uh, business, especially in markets like Victoria. You'll, you'll have a, very, a large quantity of very small players yeah, okay. uh, in that space. Our major shareholder is um, a fairly significant player in that space. So they own the Pronto Concrete brand in Victoria. And they're pretty big in Victoria, but quite fragmented after that. Yeah, right. So in, in such a fragmented industry, um, how do you think about Adbri's competitive advantage? The cement space is not fragmented. The concrete space mm. is the, the fragmented part of our business. So uh, in the cement uh, space, our competitive advantage is that portside position so having um, access to the logistics that enable you to move bulk materials around efficiently, cost efficiently, um, and in a timely and reliable manner, really critical, especially given what we're going through at the moment, what Australia's going through from a logistics uh, and supply chain mm. point of view. Australia requires about 12 to 13 million tonnes of cement to meet its domestic requirements. About half of that, or maybe 60% of that, is manufactured inside of Australia today. Mm. The rest of it is imported. Wow. So, you, yeah, a lot of people don't realise, yeah. you know, that we, we, we don't have, we're not in a self-supply situation within Australia. So having portside positions is critical to having, um, to receiving um, imported materials uh, and being able to manage the quantities um, in constrained silos. It's not fragmented at the, uh, at the cement line, yeah, okay. much more fragmented at, you know, at the concrete level. In terms of how, uh, what your competitive advantage is at that concrete and quarry level, it's really about making sure that your locations are where close to, you, you want your locations close to um, typically your fuel source, mm. uh, your customer and your raw material. So if you've got a concrete plant, you want the quarry pretty close, you want your customer base pretty close, that's why you have to build out a network. Mm. You don't want to be too far away from your customer because uh, a fairly substantial part of your cost base is freight. So every time you know, every time you want to uh, make a delivery, you don't want to be travelling long distances. Yeah. That there's a there's a fairly substantial cost in that. From a lime point of view, our competitive advantage in WA, which is where we make most of our lime, is the fact that our raw material comes uh, from shell sands. Uh, so we uh, essentially vacuum that up off the seafloor. So it's a very low cost operation. Um, it's a fairly simple processing process. We have a fairly inexpensive gas source uh, because we have a domestic reservation in WA. So that gives us a competitive advantage compared to say offshore manufacturers of lime. Mm. What our biggest strategic advantage um, is in Western Australia is our network of um, road, rail, 
transport and depot uh, network that allows us to feed the mining sector. Yeah. Mm. So we're putting about, um, uh, well now, about 900,000 tonnes of lime into the mining sector and between WA, SA and the NT, about six or 700,000 tonnes of cement into the mining sector. Wow. This makes us very different to our competitors. So our competitors tend to be very East Coast based. Their main exposure is to residential and infrastructure. We have that exposure, but we have a counter-cyclical exposure on the West Coast and through the middle of Australia um, with that mining position. So when rains are affecting the East Coast, they're not necessarily affecting our feed. In, you know, we're, we've got 24-7 feed into uh, the mining sector. So we've got that counter-cyclical balance, geographical uh, diverse uh, balance as well. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So, Teresa, it's near impossible to uh, open newspapers at the moment and not see commentary around inflation. So, how um, how have you guys been managing this inflationary period? Has it affected the business? You know, higher limestone prices, coal prices. Um, yeah, can you shed some light on, on inflation? And I think uh, that's one of the advantages of being a domestic manufacturer. You do have the advantage of being able to at least control the, the things you can control. Mm. We, like everybody else, uh, I mean, we're... Um, substantial logistics company, so we rely on road transport, rail transport, that ultimately is linked to fuel cost. And we're all feeling that pain at the petrol mm. pump. Uh, we are no different in that regard. So, um, you know, we've got uh, you know, uh, an enormous number of trucks on the road. Uh, we've got uh, you know, materials going on rail. Uh, we've got ships at sea that uh, rely on bunker fuel. So they're all linked essentially to, you know, oil, you know, oil and, you know, mm. fuel prices. So we do have that exposure just like everybody else. We don't have our coal exposure, just to sidetrack a little bit away from the cost element. Um, we are the only um, uh, company in Australia that manufactures cement not using coal. Uh, we use gas and RDF or refuse-derived fuel. So that's using construction waste to fuel our kiln in Adelaide. Another competitive advantage on your earlier question. <laughs> we, will, we will pick up on that. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, so we are less exposed to um, coal. Uh, a number of our competitors manufacture their cementitious materials um, fired with coal. So we're not exposed to that. That does not mean we aren't indirectly exposed to that because we do import clinker from offshore, as do others, and they are, they are coal-fired. So we, we are exposed through that channel. Yeah, right. Mm. So how are we dealing with that? To, your, to answer that question, we are um, – price is the main lever because mm. these, are, these are costs – you know, it's not about tweaking your operation um, yeah. in this regard. These are uh, costs largely out of our control except to the extent that we've got fixed-price contracts and I can talk a little bit about that. Uh, but for us, the, um, the the cost of diesel is sort of a, a direct uh, exposure to our bottom line, and the only lever we can really pull there is price. Uh, what I'll say about price um, through this uh, most recent period is that um, you know we operate in a competitive space, and uh, it's very difficult to just dial up the price lever mm. or turn on the price lever. And our sector has probably lagged other, I'll say construction materials um, uh, sector. So you've seen the prices still go up. The price of concrete is one of the, um, the smallest price increases in the last six months, despite the fact that a lot of concrete producers have, um, have experienced that, that exposure to not only coal, not us, but others, 
um, and to diesel. So uh, the good news is that uh, the sector has responded and everybody is now lifting their concrete and cement prices. Um, so the sector has been on a lag. So there's been a lag. They've, they've been wearing that cost for, I'll say, uh, a few months into the start of this year. Uh, but what we've seen is most players, whether they're cement or concrete players, uh, lift their prices. So every, every, everybody's lifted their prices mm. to, you know, to counter those costs. Yeah, right. Yeah. We do, on a more positive side, we do have a cost out program that we run year round. We have made some cost savings out of that. And because we're still in a, um, a blackout period, I won't talk about uh, that in specific numbers. But that is um, very focused on our Adelaide uh, facility. You know, we will get the benefits of um, a locked-in gas contract, so that's uh, delivered some good savings for us, and higher usage of RDF, which is a lower-cost fuel mm. than either coal or, mm. um, or gas. So a really good alternative to temper that cost. Yeah, right. But there has, there's definitely been a lag on, um, uh, and the, I'll say the, the sector has been very reluctant historically to raise prices because... It has been competitive, but uh, reality has bitten. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. We will put a pin in that RDF conversation because that's how I've had some exposure to Adbri and uh, we are interested to talk about that. But Teresa, before we get there, uh, Bryce and I are fascinated by this idea of what matters and what doesn't. We both came from retail backgrounds before doing this podcast and there are a number of sort of very industry-specific metrics that were really the most important metrics, same-store sales, sales per square foot in, in the retail space. So when we have a company leader in here, we love to ask what matters and what doesn't in your industry. So what are some of the metrics that really matter? The most important thing from our perspective is safety. So we measure that in a, in a range of different ways, but um, uh, having a safe operation is critical to keeping our people wanting to work uh, with us. So retaining people is a, a, a critical element um, and keeping them safe is part of our core value. So that's number one for us on anything we do. We will uh, make sure we keep our people safe before we do anything else. Mm. Um, if we look at what's critical to um, the longevity of this business, it is essentially cost per tonne. So making sure that we are the lowest cost producer across our cementitious, uh, you, know, uh, you know, whichever way we're producing cement, um, and then the lowest cost producer of lime. We probably are the lowest cost producer of lime because our raw material source is uh, relatively inexpensive. We don't have to quarry limestone for that. Um, so we, we get that uh, relatively cheaply compared to others. And probably the last thing for us is um, uh, carbon intensity. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the long-term view of this business, getting uh, reducing the carbon intensity of our business relative to our competitors is going to be critical. So, um, you know, measuring the sort of the, the carbon output per tonne or per unit or per cubic metre, whichever way you want to look at it. The sector is putting out um, sort of environmental product disclosures at the moment. You know, it measures how carbon intensive your product is. And that's going to be, I guess, the great leveller and, and comparator for everybody and making sure that yours is the lowest number is going mm. to be critical. Our Birkenhead facility currently produces the lowest carbon cement in Australia today yeah, uh, right. because of that RDF and gas usage compared to everybody else still using um, coal. Mm. That's a great thing to have. And then on the other side of the country, our lime facility, it has compared to the imports and what else, everything else that's uh, manufactured in Australia, uh, I'd be comfortable in saying that we are the lowest carbon footprint on lime as well because we fire that we fire our kiln in um, WA through a mixture of coal and gas. 
but um, you know it's about 50-50 gas and coal, so that gives us a lower lower carbon footprint. Yeah, right. It's that low cost, and um, you know when the borders open up, and the borders have sort of uh, I guess um, shielded uh, our sector a little bit from. Um, pesky importers but we are importers ourselves uh, but we operate under long-term contracts so anyone that's trying to import under short-term contracts would be feeling the full pain of increased shipping costs we don't feel that we are feeling it a bit on bunker fuel but we've got dedicated shipping under long-term arrangements Um, you know making sure that you know when those borders reopen uh, that our products can compete very strongly against and continue to compete as they, they always have against imports is critical. Mm. So yeah. our focus is cost per ton. Yeah, nice. So if that's the focus, are there any metrics that you often see discussed in business media that you just think totally useless? Why are they talking about that? Investors don't worry about it. No, look, I think um, media tend to get it, you know, pretty right. I think um, they understand our business. We're not an overly complicated yeah, business, yeah. to be honest. One thing that I think media or, you know, perhaps analysts don't uh, appreciate fully, they, they see the nature of our assets and um, that they're major infrastructure assets, big terminals, big kilns, and they think, oh, that, that's a big fixed cost base. Therefore, we must have really high operational leverage. We actually have a very high variable cost base. When volumes move, it doesn't necessarily translate to, you know, major bottom line movements. You know, it's, it's, it's only sort of at the margins, particularly in the concrete space because you're buying in all of those ingredients to make a concrete mix you're exposed to that raw material um, and hauling, you know, or transportation cost. And also um, where we don't manufacture our own cement, where we're importing clinker and grinding it, a fairly substantial portion of the cost is the raw material cost and the shipping to get it to Australia. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's entirely variable. There's not a, you know, uh, a fixed cost element. So a bit of clarification um, uh, around that. And probably the other point of clarity is just how large a portion of our cost base is logistics. Mm. You know, we are transporting some of our goods up to 3,000 kilometres from source. So when you're feeding the mining community, you've got a lot of uh, road and rail and, uh, you know, we're in the fortunate position of having a depot network that we think cannot be replicated, again, to that competitive advantage. It means a lot of of fuel that's being consumed uh, to, to, you know, to get uh, product to customer. Yeah. All right. Well, Teresa, before we uh, move to the sustainability challenge of cement and uh, concrete, we will take a very quick break to hear from our sponsors and then jump back in. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
So, Teresa, uh, before the break, we've mentioned sustainability a few times. And for people listening who aren't familiar with the context, uh, sustainability in the cement industry is critical because it's a big source of emissions. I think globally it's responsible for about 8% of emissions, which is similar to the global car fleet. So a big challenge um, and I guess a big opportunity for the companies that can solve it. How do you think about sustainability in the industry and sustainability at Adbright? I think probably, uh, firstly, sustainability is more than just climate change. Uh, for us, it's really about, you know, it's about people, um, it's about our communities. So being able to operate in the communities uh, that we work within is critical. So a, a large element of what we do is um, keeping I guess, close ties and connections with our community because, you know, we are operating scale industrial facilities. That's a key element of being able to... It's it's our licence to operate in a sense. People, being able to uh, engage our people and keep them uh, and retain them, uh, highly critical in this labour-constrained market. So that's something that um, we have a very heavy focus on. We are doing some things to, I guess, tap new sources of people uh, we have a uh, what we're calling a driver academy to try and attract women concrete truck drivers for ourselves. So we've just gone through a period of recruitment through that space and um, there's been an element of sex success there. Uh, we're increasing our source of graduates as well because uh, we have, a, I'll say, a very loyal and dedicated workforce that are getting, a, you know, probably at the older end of the scale. So attracting young people into, you know, let's say a carbon-intensive um, business is, uh, has its challenges, mm. let's just say. And clearly the response to climate change is the big sustainability challenge um, for a business like ours. There's no doubt about it. If you look at the emissions from cement, um, about 40% of the emissions that we generate are from the fuels we use. 60% of the emissions um, out of both um, uh, cement production and lime production um, are what we call hard to abate or difficult to abate, and they come from the process itself. So you're basically taking, get out your chemistry book, um, <laughs> a calcium carbonate and taking the CO2 out of it to make either a lime product or a cementitious material. Far more complicated than that. I'm just an accountant. I'm not trying to pretend <laughs> to be a chemist. But you're, you're basically the, the, the chemical process to make lime or cement is to extract CO2 from a stone or from a sand. Mm. So that's hard to abate. So you, there, there's, no, so there's no immediate technical uh, solution for that, and that's what the sector is working on. A lot of the, the R&D in that space is very focused on how to capture and store mm. it rather than to eliminate it because it is, you know, we can't change the chemistry. What I will say is that the products that we produce are not necessarily immediately interchangeable with others, particularly lime. These are products that we think are necessary to the future growth of Australia and indeed the mining community, uh, mining outputs of Australia. Uh, we are doing quite a bit of work with, um, you know, partnering with other people that have expertise in R and D. We're not uh, we're not at the bleeding edge of the R and D. Uh, there are sector participants who are trialling different um, carbon capture options. And we've partnered up with Calix and we're looking at their technology. Relating to our lime business, um, some of our competitors in Europe are using Calix or trialling Calix in a cement application. So what we hope that they can work that end, we'll work the lime <laughs> end. You know, and these are trials. So, mm. um, uh, and the technology we're looking at um, in relation to lime has worked not at scale and with a finer product. So uh, it's about developing that over perhaps the next decade, 
So we are focused on the 40% that we can um, uh, look to address more immediately because where there are solutions to that exposure. What I will say is that our carbon reduction journey has been going on for nearly two decades. So as I've said, we are the only player in the market not using coal. So we have already transitioned from coal to, ga to gas and from gas, we're moving to RDF. And in the West, we've gone from gas you know, to a combination of gas and coal and we've committed to going to um, zero coal usage in WA by 2024. Oh, wow. So we'll just be gas and RDF for the products that we manufacture. We are still importing um, products that are that are using coal as uh, as a fuel, measured as a scope three emission. Our focus in the short term is on scope one and two mm. and that 40%. Let's zoom in on RDF a little bit because that's why I was excited to speak to you today because I have had some very incidental exposure to Adbri um, when I was working in the sustainability team at Coles and uh, we were trying to find solutions for hard to recycle um, waste. Uh, this RDF, uh, this resource-derived fuel, is that yep. is that what it's... Um, Refuse-derived. Refuse-derived fuel. Um, for hard to recycle plastics or contaminated plastics and stuff like that, uh, we could send them to... Adbri via um, Resource Co and and use them to power your kilns rather than using coal, which was really exciting for us because a lot of the time we didn't have better solutions for this stuff. So at least there was an outlet. Tell us a little bit about that uh, RDF, the opportunity for the industry more broadly to follow in your footsteps and get coal out of their kilns as well. Um, but yeah, for people that probably aren't familiar with what you're doing, um, can you share a bit of light? Okay, so no, no, no technical expert on RDF, but um, again, look, refuse-derived fuels can be many things. So a refuse is any kind of refuse, so all waste. In our case, what we're putting into our Birkenhead kiln in uh, Port Adelaide is mainly construction waste. So any materials that come off a site, including plastics, are collected by Resource Co and, uh, I guess, mulched into what's described, what I can only describe as what you would get out of your vacuum cleaner bag. That's how it looks <laughs> like when it goes, and it actually smells like that when it goes into the kiln. What we're doing there is avoid, we're avoiding having that waste go into a waste dump mm. or, or a tip. We're avoiding landfill being, you know, consumed and the emissions or the methane that comes from that over the longer term. Other refuse-derived materials in um, other cases is just sort of wood chip and some people uh, use that as their um, RDF fuel but uh, it's not that prevalent in Australia more prevalent in Europe where um, you know carbon taxes apply mm. so great opportunity for us it's much as I said before much cheaper than um, than coal and carbon intensity much much lower the fuel that we're using is one type we are looking at uh, perhaps using something that has more plastics in it, as uh, we'll call, what we're calling internally as RDF2 is something that uh, we're looking into at the moment. Mm. So that would, um, but you're, you are constrained by where the source of the waste comes from because that can't move. You know, you can, moving that across states can be quite expensive, yeah. and it sort of defeats the purpose because you're putting trucks on roads yeah, to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be, um, it's kind of a localised solution. And um, in the case of Adelaide, it's a great solution for us. So Teresa, one more question on sustainability. Um, we are obviously seeing carbon pricing um, 
conversation come up again in Australia, new government, and, you know, it's in line with conversations in certain parts of the world where carbon pricing is on the agenda or already in place. And then there are other parts of the world where uh, carbon pricing is perhaps not so much on the agenda. So as you think about competing in a global market, um, how do you think about competing with imports that may not be subject to carbon pricing in the future? Most of uh, the cement manufacturers of Australia are doing a level of importation anyway, and we are the chief importers of the bulk of the materials that come into um, into our market. We would need to be, I mean, we are working with government um, and uh, I guess the, um, uh, the agencies that support our sector. You know, our general view would be that there would need to be a level playing field, not to shield in an uh, in an inappropriate way mm. our sector, just to put it on a level playing field. We 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 can compete as long as everybody's run by the same rules, yeah. mm. and we'd be very comfortable um, that you know our low carb- carbon position would put us ahead yeah. of those products if the, if a level playing field applied. So that would be um, our desired state. You know, we'd have to work with. You know, safeguard mechanisms are the big topic of this week and, and uh, we'd be working with government to ensure that uh, we were no, you know, we were, we were not being penalised against mm. uh, a competing product coming from offshore. So, Teresa, we always ask the final three questions to all of our executives when they come on. So, to kick it off, what does the next 12 months look like for Adbriar? Anything in the pipeline that you can share and if you can't share it we'll still like you to share it because it's good (laughs) (laughs) so look we uh we have recently acquired three different businesses some through jv and some directly and um the next 12 months is really about i mean we've we've gone through the pain of 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 integration over the last few months it's really getting them humming and um Mm. and generating good returns for us because we've made some significant investments and this is about building out our concrete and aggregate network to pull through more of those high value items, um, cement uh, and aggregates. We bought in JV with our Mawson's counterpart, uh, the Milbrae business that's in regional New South Wales, really neat little business. We bought a sand quarry in uh, Melbourne in JV with our major shareholder. Um, That's called, uh, it trades under the name of Metro Quarries. And we bought the Zanos business in Queensland, which is they're all concrete and aggregate businesses. And um, let's just say that uh, we, we want them to pump really hard for us uh, over the balance <laughs> of the year. Um, that's why we've, we've made an investment we want to return. Um, another big item on our agenda is uh, we've about 25% complete on our Quinana upgrade project in uh, Western Australia. So we had um, uh, an old cement facility that's essentially been rebuilt at a Portside location um, in um, in Quinana. so we've moved it. Uh, we've moved it from our Munster position to Quinana. Two hundred million dollar investment. Uh, so it's a, a big piece of work, a big mm. uh, big project for us. And getting that, um, you know, getting that completed mm. is uh, uh, a big focus. And uh, we're saying it's, uh, you know, it, it'll be commissioned in the middle of next year. So there's uh, a lot of logistics and labour that we're relying on to get us there. So that's another big focus for us. Clearly managing price and cost and um, getting ahead of that cost inflation is, you know, I'll say a more immediate um, everyday um, yeah. uh, management item and that's really out with our salespeople. That's a, that's a big focus for them. Uh, another area for us is uh, we continue to develop our footprint in infrastructure. You can see Resi coming off a little bit. We know we, we see the inflection point for Resi being sort of end of 2023, so we think it's going to come off sort of a little bit next year and then pop up again. What we're hoping will fill the gap is 
infrastructure because there's a big, big pipeline of projects mm. that mm. have kind of been in abatement waiting, you know, because of skills and material shortages. Mm. So governments have sort of pulled back on some of those, which is good in a way because we'll get a flatter delivery curve. Yeah. That suits all of us. Mm. That suits us. It means what we've seen this year is that because we've seen a lot of wet weather, what tends to happen is, you know, you take a you take an order and then you can't deliver it because it's raining. You can't do a concrete pour when it's raining. Uh, and then when it's dry, you're using overtime and hire trucks mm. to get it done. Same would happen in infrastructure. So we expect that to be a, a long a long source of um, a volume uh, demand for yeah, us right. over the next sort of three or four years. Big La Nina coming this summer again, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. Uh, we, 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 we recognise that. So it's really about um, making sure that we've got, um, you know, people on hand and trucks on hand for yeah. the dry. And that's, you know, we've been highly responsive um, to our customer base uh, trying to get uh, volumes delivered. So. Mm. Mm. Something I didn't think about. You can't mention Australian residential property on an investing podcast without asking a, fo- without us asking a follow-up question. You, you mentioned there you think the inf- uh, it'll slow for the next uh, sort of year and a half and then the inflection point will be the end of 2023? Well, uh, no, I'm saying it will slow next year. We we have got a really full order book um, out to the end of this calendar year. Mm. Um, we think it will sort of slow a bit next year um, and then what we expect will happen is that the doors to migration will start to open up. Yeah, okay. um, we hope. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, we, we all need it. That will that will uh, be we'll, the we'll get we'll get a kick. We'll, you know, it'll take a bit of time to kick, but we hope that uh, infrastructure will fill the void mm. in uh, in the interim. Yeah. So we've made some good headway into infrastructure. We've uh, we've developed our capability because we've built out that concrete aggregate and cement network um, at a more localized level. We're bidding into projects where we have where our facilities are close to the projects. That allows us to bid those projects cost competitively or uh, or price competitively and for us to make a margin because we're delivering it cost competitively. Mm. So we've we've made some, you know, we've had some good traction in in the infrastructure sector. So that'll be an ongoing focus for us over the next six months. Yeah, great. So uh, we always uh, like to ask company leaders about risks to their (laughs) business. So when you think about AdBride today, what would be the biggest risk that keeps you up at night? Remaining cost competitive is something that we is a risk we manage every day, and um, so that we'll just park that one because we've spoken about that one. But really, meeting um, I guess the climate change challenge challenges set by society mm. is probably the biggest risk to a sector like ours. So, given that we don't have a technology solution for the hard to abate, mm. um, we didn't. Sorry, I, I didn't really sort of talk about the um, the things that we are doing to you know to to address the forty percent. Um, we have committed to you know a ten percent reduction in our um, uh, our lime emissions, twenty uh, percent reduction in our cement emissions, and a hundred percent sort of transfer of electricity usage to renewables by twenty thirty. Well. So there's some of the things. So in, in that carb, you know, that carbon reduction journey, mm. they're in they're in our short term view. Technology, you know, our focus, you know, on um, on the sixty percent or the hard to abate um, is uh, is where we're investing our R and D uh, dollars and um, investing in partnerships with people that have more expertise in it than um, than perhaps we have. Mm. Yeah. Well, Calix is definitely a company that gets a bit of buzz in the uh, I guess the Australian investing community, but. Sounds like for any budding engineers or entrepreneurs out there, the world's going to need concrete and cement. So there's a there's a big challenge to 
to and try lime. and solve. And lime. Yeah, and lime. <laughs> Never forget lime. But Teresa, we want to say a massive thank you for joining us today. Uh, the final question we always like to end the interview with, you know, we're long-term investors here at Equity Mates. We like to think long-term. So if you think about Adbri uh, in 10 years from now, what would success look like? Uh, it would be the lowest cost, lowest carbon footprint, manufacturer of materials, We'd have a a customer base that saw us as the the reliable quality producer, critical to their operations. Our operations would be uh, running on uh, entirely renewable fuels. Our workforce would uh, see us as the employer of choice uh, and our shareholders would be uh, receiving double-digit returns. The perfect company. Love that. Sounds like the perfect company. So you got your work cut out for you then. (laughs) Just 10 years. I've got 10 years. Love that. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us. We always do really uh, appreciate spending time with um, leaders of, of uh, listed companies and getting a bit of insight into how the company runs and it's certainly valuable for our community. So thank you very much. And also thank you for the to the ASX CEO Connect series for making it happen. Uh, as I said at the top, the series is all about bringing listed companies and investors together and uh, we've partnered with them throughout 2022. You can hear more of the episodes that we've done with them uh, on our feed or you can head to the ASX website to find out more just search ceo connect series um they do have webinars that you can tune into as well if you don't get a chance we'll be doing some of the follow-up with some of the ceos so thank you very much Teresa. it was an absolute pleasure and uh, likewise good luck over the next 10 years thank you guys thanks Teresa. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.